Producer Chanel took a picture for us. We are recording in our parents' office. It's very echoey. Mm-hmm. I have it's very s- hot in here too, despite it being in December. It's about 84 degrees. <laughs> uh, they told me that their AC was broken and that they will not be fixing it. Uh, <laughs> so. I wear pants. <laughs> anyway, hello, ladies, germs, and people of all genders. Welcome to the Ah uh, Real Films podcast, where two siblings discuss horror movies based on a theme topic. My name is. Taylor the Transformer. What? Taylor the Transformer. Taylor the Transformer. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and I'm Tampa Kurt. <laughs> I now live in Tampa. So I just want Will you stop to bragging about living in Tampa? <laughs> anyway, oh yeah. Well, hey, you know, when you have something that big of an accomplishment like living in Tampa, you just want to brag about it all the time. That's so. really annoying. But <laughs> anyway, by the time you hear this, it'll be 2019. So happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone. We're actually you want to reveal or peel back the curtain a little bit and reveal when we're recording this. We are recording this on. Christmas Eve. Yeah, we're actually recording this on Christmas oh, oh, oh. Eve because we are trying to take it. Now that I don't live in the same city as Taylor, we're trying oh to take God. advantage. Of, yeah. <laughs> I live in Tampa now. <laughs> we're trying to take advantage of each time uh, we see one another. So we're actually recording this about three weeks in advance, two weeks in advance, or so. Uh, it will be two weeks in advance. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're getting ahead of sketch. Um, you know, we're just hard workers. You know, we grind all mostly the time. Me. It's mostly me. Mostly me. That does. Look, I have work. two pages of notes here. Okay, so um, so today's episode, speaking of the new year, is New Year, New Me, movies about people who are transforming themselves and becoming new versions of themselves, specifically not body horror, which will probably be another episode, Curtis. So not body horror, right? And not body horror. I did think it was interesting, too, that neither of us picked, we picked people who transform into basically shittier versions of themselves. Yes. It's not people who transform, not like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. Right. It's more of like, you were a pretty okay person before. It's questionable. You had some flaws. But... You had some flaws. You're a normal human being. You become a really <laughs> shitty bastard uh, after transformation. And I thought, you know, at least one of us might pick something like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation, but not really. We did not. We did not. So yeah. speaking of the new year... The theme of New Year, New Me, which is obviously something people say around the New Year. Curtis, uh, to get to get you know social media clout, you always say exactly. That, of course. But Curtis, why are people so obsessed with New Year's resolutions? I want to know. Do you make New Year's resolutions? I Do you don't. have one this year? No? I don't. You know, I am of the opinion that I really can't be improved that much. <laughs> so any New Year's resolution would be admitting that I'm I knew not. you were going to say that. <laughs> no. You know, I just, uh, I stopped making New Year's resolutions uh, just because I don't keep them after like two weeks or so. So there's really no no point. Uh, I always want to do 2018 with a great year for me. I just want to make 2019 even better. That's always kind of my thought going into the new year. Watch more horror movies, travel more, live it up in Tampa. You know, those, those types That's of things. extremely irritating. <laughs> I usually make New Year's resolutions that are... Very definable goals. Mm-hmm. So last year, I, my New Year's resolution was to read 50 books. Ooh. If you count my annual reread of the Harry Potter series, I read 51 books. Nice. So, yeah, if but... If you count, like, uh, articles, uh, like 500-word articles, not, no. I have read about 50 books as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's really sad, because that means you only read 50 articles. <laughs> um, and we have a horror movie podcast, so I guess you're not doing that much research. So. Uh, well, if you count IMDb pages, oh I've God. read thousands of books this year. <laughs> so I think that's a great idea, a definable goal. Um, I, the thing that is really a struggle for me is I do Lent every year. Or I mm. try. I, I actually didn't do it last year, so I probably shouldn't brag too much. But that is really difficult. I, abstaining from something for 40 days, like uh, one year I tried to do coffee and I made it about four hours or so before I started shaking and having caffeine withdrawal. But that is all, that's very difficult, but I never thought about a New Year's, because, you know, New Year's resolution is like, I'm going to start going to the gym every single day. No one does you stop, that. you stop after two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So. Last year for Lent, I gave up alcohol 
And Justin and I went to two open bar weddings during that time. Yeah, so I drank a lot of Shirley Temples, needless to say. Yeah, Sprite. <laughs> great, great. Mm, God, I love a maraschino cherry. Those little <laughs> swords. Um, amazing. So, well, let's just hop right into it. Uh, I think it's your turn to go first, so why don't you introduce your movie? Absolutely. This film is one that might have some people who've seen it scratching their heads a little bit. Maybe not. I don't know, but we'll see. But my film I chose is Christine directed by John Carpenter, uh, the 1983 film based off of, I don't know if you knew this, Taylor, it's based off the 1983 novel by Stephen King. Of course I knew that. Well, no, I knew that you knew it was based off the novel, but I didn't realize, I mean, John Carpenter basically made this movie in less than a year. It came out in December 1983, and, and Stephen King's novel came out in, I believe, February 1983, mm-hmm. so it was a quick turnaround. I think this was like kind of a thing that happened to a lot of Stephen King novels in the 80s. Yeah, that was a time period where a lot of Stephen King books, it was just like, they made every single one of his books into a movie. Mm-hmm. So I I think at that time, he basically would let them know, hey, I'm writing another one, you better gear up the you know, yeah. the movie-making machine. And, you know, that was his big cocaine era. Oh, uh, he, was, so he was cranking out books left and they right. Were crank- he was cranking out books and cranking down the cocaine. <laughs> Nice. Um, so, have you read Chris? I've never. I, yeah. I'm not a reader like you. Have you read Christine? Is it good? Yeah, I'm actually. Book? I mean, I mentioned this before. I'm actually a pretty big Stephen King fan, and I have read Christine. And once you get through the plot of the film Christine, honestly, that's pretty much what the book is about. It does not, from my memory, it's been a few years, but it does not differ very much from the book. Okay. Yeah. So, where would you rank it amongst Stephen King novels? Like in the middle, lower it's, half? It's not. Here's the thing about Stephen King. I think there's about two tiers. There's kind of his more, to me, books that are about two different things. I think The Shining is in there. It, obviously. Misery. Pet Cemetery. And then there's another class of Stephen King where he's like, what about a car that kills people? And that's kind of, and I like it, but, you know, it's not yeah. necessarily his most high-minded stuff. But it's good. Yeah. I would put it, I would put it in the class of something like a Cujo. That's interesting. Okay, so, because for me... And we'll get more into, you know, Carpenter's feelings about this film, why he made it, because it does, it, it is obviously like among all, I mean, all of his films. And, you know, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. He might be one of my two or three favorite horror movie directors. And I would put this film like up in his top five, maybe. I really, really like this film. I, I actually just watched it for the first time this year and I had kind of overlooked it for whatever reason. I really love it. So um, it's interesting that John Carpenter was able to take kind of like a mundane, mediocre Stephen King novel and kind of turn it into this great film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's just, you know, just goes to show you John Carpenter's skill, especially in the early 80s. He was just knocking it out of the park. But um, anyway, yeah, so directed by John Carpenter, it stars uh, some pretty unknown actors. Keith Gordon, who plays Arnie, would go on to be a filmmaker. John Stockwell, who plays Arnie's best friend, Dennis, would go on to be a filmmaker as well. And uh, our mom just told us uh, before we started this podcast that Alexandra Paul, who's kind of like the lead female role slash love interest, uh, who plays Lee in the movie, uh, she went on to be uh, the David Hasselhoff's love interest in Baywatch. So incredible stuff! Great, uh, you know, great uh, cast. But <laughs> I uh, like that um, our mom is one who gave us that bit of information. Yeah, she was a big Baywatch yes. fan. Back in the <laughs> I 90s, guess so. so um, I did think it was interesting that these unknown actors. I thought they did a really uh, great performance. It's kind of you know we've been talking a lot about kid actors lately because of Better Watch Out and stuff. I thought these. Uh, I don't know if they were. 18 if they were adults, but, you know, essentially teenagers did a great job acting yes. in this film, I thought. A well-acted film. I, I will say the bully uh, that bullies Arnie in this film looked like he was about 40 years old, so he definitely he was, was kind not of a, a teenager. He was kind of a babe. <laughs> he looked like honest. he was in Led Zeppelin or something. <laughs> yeah. but no, I anyway. wouldn't even say Led Zeppelin. I would say he's a tier below, maybe in Boston or something. <laughs> yeah, Boston or Chicago <laughs> or something. Anyway, uh, so, you know, as we alluded to, this film is essentially about a killer car. And, um, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on this film, and this car is a 1958 Plymouth Fury, and it's a red Plymouth Fury, which I thought, you know, you know, classic-looking car. But then I looked it up. In actuality, uh, in 1958, Plymouth Furies were only available in buckskin beige, uh, not red. Well, that's interesting, because so. we were, I was watching the film with our parents last night, 
by the way, they both loved it as well. Mm-hmm. And our mom pointed out that when Christine comes off the assembly line, she's the only red car, and the yeah. rest of them are beige. So oh, interesting. Yeah, I never, I didn't notice that tidbit. Yeah. So yeah, no, the, these Plymouth Furies were only made in beige back in 1958. So this is not as dumb as I thought it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, another interesting fact about the car itself, before I go into a little bit of the plot of the film, is that apparently because these are a lot of unknown actors, that the budget of this film was pretty low. I think it was less than a million bucks. Um, but, you know, the actors uh, were paid pretty, pretty modestly because a lot of them were unknown. And so they had most of their money was spent on the car itself, Christine. And there was actually 17 different versions of the car used in the film. That's so, really cool. I mean, that, little... you can tell when you watch it that that definitely plays in. I'm like, there's no way. I mean, they had to have props to do some of the special effects mm-hmm. and everything. But 17 is pretty. That's Yeah. That's I thought crazy. that was insane. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the plot of this film, I won't go too in-depth. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward plot. Arnie, the main character, is a little bit of a nerd. He gets bullied by this 40-year-old dude at school, <laughs> has a switchblade pulled on him, has his yogurt. Um, oh, so sad. Devastating. <laughs> but um, as he's walking home after this incident, he sees this beat-up car that he instantly falls in love with, and his friend is like, you're going to buy this piece of shit? Oh, wait, you're going to pay $1,500 for this piece of shit? And he's like, worried that he's overpaying for it. Um, so he buys the car, uh, his parents are really upset, like, you can't keep the car here, and so he takes the car to a garage, and the guy running the garage, very rude, smoking a cigar, almost kicks him out of the garage, because the car is, like, sputtering smoke everywhere. And right, like, he drives it in, and it's just a cloud of smoke. <laughs> yeah. It's actually really funny. And, you know, the guy's like, listen here, kid, you're not going <laughs> to fuck around here, you know, don't come driving through and disrespect me like this again, and... This kid, this poor kid, you think, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, miraculously, you know, all of a sudden, this car looks great. It has a new coat of paint. It's running perfectly. In, and I think they said it took about two weeks. Yeah, about, about in, in two the, weeks. In, in the, the time of the, of the film. Because yeah. they give the date in the lower right-hand corner periodically. Yeah. yeah. So, all of a sudden, Arnie has this uh, sexy car. He's starting to look better. He has nicer hair. It's all gelled. He uh, starts dating this girl that his friend Dennis is really into, and Dennis is, like, playing football, and all of a sudden he looks and he sees Arnie with this girl, and he's like, fuck, and then he gets walloped and ends up in the hospital, as it turns out. Um, but that was a, you know, just a little subplot of the movie. The main plot is essentially, you know, Arnie gets his car, starts being real cool, starts dating this girl, but he also starts becoming obsessed with the car and becomes, honestly... The biggest douchebag. Yeah. And one of the biggest douchebags in film history. He's and really mean and like he starts arguing with Lee all the time and he, he, he pulls physically. a switchblade on his dad or yeah. she starts yelling at his yeah. dad. I mean, you know, he's just. Once he lost those glasses, uh, it was yeah. like, it was all over for everyone knew, else in Arnie's life. You By knew the way, it was what? Go so is he just like walking around not able to see? Did they have contact lenses in 1983? No. What was the status of, of you know? Maybe those glasses Vision. were just for, like, show. It's like, look, I'm a nerd, but yeah. I don't really They were even taped in the middle at one point. So <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how you knew he was a nerd. Yeah, you exactly. Know? But all of a sudden, he has, you know, these nice greased hair, but <laughs> his attitude begins to change. And, you know, uh, just minor spoiler alert, I won't get into too much detail, but um, at some point, Arnie starts looking, you know, he's, he's cool now, he has a nice car, and he starts looking for revenge against these bullies. And that's kind of where the horror aspect of the film comes in. There's some really... Uh, great kills in this film involving the car. One thing, you know, I, I sort of didn't mention, I overlooked on this plot that's crucial to what I'll be talking about is, um, there's a first scene in the film with the car on the assembly line and actually kill it. it, it you don't really see what happens, but, um, the car actually kills someone on the assembly line and you're like, what the hell's going on? And it plays this old 50s song. And, uh, as Arnie gets this car and he's, you know, in the car driving around, it's always playing songs from the 1950s. And you're like, well, is this car possessed? And as it turns out, uh, spoiler alert, the car's possessed. And that's kind of, uh, yeah, it's a crazy spoiler. I'm sure you, nobody who's watched this movie has any <laughs> Or idea. anyone who's heard of this movie, a movie about a killer car by Stephen King. It is actually possessed. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if it's possessed. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so that's sort of the, the dynamic of the film. The car is possessed and it's changing Arnie and slowly he's becoming obsessed with this car and having it get revenge on his bullies and stuff. And, uh, so that's, that, that is really why I wanted to talk about this film is the way that Arnie changes in this film. Not so much, I mean, there's a really great scene in the film where Christine is destroyed by these bullies. I think one of them takes a shit in the car, if I'm not mistaken. On the dashboard. On the dashboard. And that's, that's when our right. dad said, 
Is that one of Curtis's friends? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he takes a shit on the dashboard. Um, but in the next scene, you know, Arnie shows up and he's so angry. But then, you know, that's that uh, famous part of the movie where he's like, show me, Christine, show me. And the car starts to reassemble itself. Okay. And I'm not, I mean, that was one of the coolest things I've seen in a movie, honestly, in terms of special effects. I was like, as soon as he said, show me, I was like, ooh, this is going to be cheesy. But it really wasn't. It, it was, was very cool. Awesome. Yeah. And um, the way that they actually did that was uh, they, like, did, they filmed the car, I believe, being destroyed or something like that and filmed it in reverse. So, like. Oh, that is so cool. It's just amazing. That and John is Carpenter, really cool. He made this right after he made the thing. And, you know, I have to say, like. These two films combined have some of the best. That would be a great special effects. Yeah, 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 some of the best special effects you'll ever see. But um, yeah, so obviously Christine's the star of the movie. We see Christine transform, you know, from damaged to not damaged. But really, the transformation I want to talk about was that of Arnie and uh, kind of what happens to him after he gets this car. And you know, like I said, you know, he's this nerdy kid. He's a little has a few unsavory comments about women, but still seems to kind of be. Uh, a normal kid for all intents and purposes. And all of a sudden he gets his car, he becomes obsessed with this car, he gets his girlfriend and treats his girlfriend like shit and really only cares about the car. And so, you know, what happens to him? And I think, you know, obviously we discussed within the plot of the movie, the car's possessed. But, you know, I just thought, I, I don't know if this was like the intent of Stephen King, but obviously the intent of the film is to kind of reflect what happens when we come obsessed with like consumer possessions because not only does he experience some physical transformation and I keep on pointing out the hair because his hair is just impeccable in the He film has an after. amazing hair deal. Yeah. He looks great. All, it's all <laughs> slicked back. It's all He looks like an extra from the outsiders. Yeah. He <laughs> he's just he goes from like a three out of ten to like an easy He goes eight. from zero to hero is what you're Exactly. Like. Yeah. But um he also experiences like, you know, attitude transformation and he becomes more obsessed with material possessions than he does about his friends, about his girlfriend, about his family. And so I thought that was, I thought this was a really good allegory because, you know, what's more, a, a more essential consumer commodity than a car? I mean, you know, everybody has a car. Everybody cares about their car to a certain extent. Every, you know, to a certain extent, we are all obsessive about our cars, but this is kind of that taken to its extreme. You know, it really makes you think about the way that we view these things that we think of as essential in life as juxtaposed to things that are really essential in life, as, such as, you know, our loved ones, our friends, and things like that. So, again, I, I haven't read the book, and I know Stephen King has a lot of these very socially conscious themes to it, but so does Carpenter. I mean, I thought the first thing I thought of when I was watching this film was They Live, which has an obvious, like, anti-consumerist message, and I think that's kind of Carpenter's bread and butter. And I thought this film did maybe not quite to the level they live, but I thought this film did a great job of showing like the subtle ways that the consumerist culture and like becoming obsessed with our possessions transforms us until it becomes like so obvious, like all of a sudden he wants to kill, you know, obviously they're bullies, but you know, he's so, all of a sudden he wants to kill people and it culminates at the end of the film where he's kind of trying to kill his best friend and his girlfriend. Hmm. So um, I would, um, I agree with that interpretation of the film. Um, I think having read the book and my recollections of the book and given the beginning of the film where you see that Christine is possessed from the very time she was assembled, to me it was more that this is a possessed car that possesses those around her. And of course, if you take that a step further, I think those comments about consumerism and things still stand. But I guess I maybe took a little bit more of a literal okay. interpretation of the film just because, and I saw that more as more of a supernatural kind of scare than a social commentary scare, even though I think both of those interpretations are, are valid. I think the one, and I, I've talked about my love of backstory before, I thought the one thing the film was missing is I'm just like, I wish I knew a little bit more about Christine. Like, why why do you roll right off and immediate, immediately, because the guy who was at the assembly line, he gets into the car, the seats are still covered in plastic, and he's smoking a cigar, and he ashes his cigar onto the seat, and then she kills him. Yeah. But it's like, where? what happened before that where she is, you know, yeah, is kind of sent you? Yeah, you know? I wish I knew why she was possessed, and that would have been really interesting to know. I mean, it could have just been like a throwaway line. 
nine or something too. Um, but it just seems like almost at random uh, that she was possessed or that you know she's immediately disrespected a gate or something by that ash. I, I don't know. I don't know what that was trying to say. All of a sudden, this guy is like smoking a cigar, and all of a sudden he's dead. Yeah. In his car. So I, and, I and even I before that, more even before that, when the guy was working underneath her hood, he her hood slams down and, and slams his yeah. fingers. Yeah, yeah, he loses a finger, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, or so, at least he injures the singer, yeah. so. I took it to the extreme. But, uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> but to be fair, that doesn't necessarily detract from the film for me. I just think it feels like a storyline that's not tied up very yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say on uh, your commentary about how, you know, you kind of took it as more of like a straightforward supernatural story. Um, I was trying to look, do some research online and I ended up defaulting to just IMDb because I thought, you know, I watched this film, I'm like, there's gotta be like, some think pieces about this movie or something like that, and there wasn't. It was mm. just, you know, normal you should write reviews. A think piece. Maybe I will. Hey, <laughs> why not? I'm a thinker. I think <laughs> but um, I just want to say uh, one more thing about this film, um, and uh, that is is that Carpenter thinks very lowly of this film. He really does not. He thinks this is one of his worst works. He said that he feels like a, or sorry, he said that he felt like a quote unquote. <laughs> for making this film because he said he did it for just the money. I wish John Carpenter would call me a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, I think it's it's interesting, and I think it kind of lends credence to a little bit, you know, sort of the commentary on consumer culture and, like, sort of debased shallowness in the way that we kind of treat, you know, our, our consumer objects and money. I mean, he was feeling that way when he made this film, so I think maybe a little bit of it rubbed up on the film, and I think that's why... I sort of thought that, but also, I mean, he has a history of making films like this, so maybe I was reading too much into it, because, you know, he's made They Live and, you know, Escape from New York and all these kind of apocalyptic uh, type films, and really, perhaps he was just trying to make a quick buck and do, you know, that adaptation of that, but I think perhaps that a little bit of his feelings of being debased by making this film maybe rubbed off into it, and I think it's a real disservice to himself to call himself a quote-unquote Poe for making this film because I thought I honestly think it's one of his five best films or so. I, I really really liked it and um, you know I thought again you know going back to the theme of this episode the transformation of Arnie in this film is really at first really subtle and then all of a sudden it's right in your face like obvious and I thought that was just really really well done and um, I can confidently say I did not like the new Arnie. I like the old Arnie a little bit better. So. Of course you do. I mean, he was nerdy, but he was sweet and genuine. And he, loved I mean? he loved yogurt. He loved yogurt. What's wrong with that? A man who loves yogurt. What's yeah. wrong with that? And he loved cars. You know, he's just a good, good young guy, and all of a sudden this possessed car just changes him and makes his hair sexier, but otherwise yeah. changes him for the worse. And then so. ends up killing him. Yeah, and then it ends Spoiler up killing him. Spoiler alert. Yeah, 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 killer car kills someone. I'm sorry for that spoiler, but anyway, that's Christine, and I, I feel like this movie is criminally underrated. I have been dismissing it for years and thinking, like, how can a movie about killer car be good? It's fantastic, and I would highly suggest people go out and watch yeah, it. Yeah, and I think for our theme as well, I think it's surprisingly for a Stephen King film, or a film based off of, like, a Stephen King novel... Pretty subtle. I think, you know, yeah. I, I liked the subtle, you know, because he does transform, but it is a little, you know, not to criticize you, a little maybe more gradual than how you explained it. Like, at yeah. first, it's like, you know, his friend rolls up, and he's like, hey, Arnie, where are your glasses? Oh, you know, I don't need to wear them today. And then the next thing you know, he's wearing cool clothes. And then the next thing you know, he has this girlfriend. And then the next thing you know, he's saying all these rude things. And I think it does show how when someone changes in that way, it's not always a dramatic thing. It's yeah. kind of like slowly they become like a shitty person. And I think that uh, evolution you can kind of see through his best friend's eyes. And it's just a really interesting look at how like people change in our lives and how they drift in and out of our lives as well. So yeah. I thought it was a great choice for this episode. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, just a little word on Dennis. Um, that uh, I thought he was like the really the most interesting character in the film because a lot of what you're noticing about the changes that already come by way of Dennis, you're like, you know, he didn't used to do stuff. Because, you know, uh, Lee, the girlfriend, Arnie's girlfriend, kind of confused by Arnie's, like, changing behavior. But it's it's Dennis first that notices, like, these subtle changes. Like, oh, you lost your glasses. Oh, you're dressing a lot better. Oh, you seem a lot more confident now. Like, and so I think that's a really good point. And I thought, again, the way that this, that 
already subtly changes and kind of transforms into this monster. Uh, I just thought that was a really cool aspect of this film. You know, a lot of people remember Christine for being the killer car film, but really the thing that stood out most to me about this film was Arnie. So. Yes. Yeah. I don't Great. know. New Year. New me. New Year. New Arnie. I'm going to get another beer. Yeah. My okay. legs are asleep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, Taylor, yeah. <laughs> We just cracked open a few beers. You want to tell them what we're drinking? Yeah. Um, well, we are actually drinking, and you were surprised to hear this, my very favorite beer of all time, Cigar City's Florida Cracker. And I don't Something about it just screams Florida to me. And I, you know, I went to school in Sarasota, so we used to go to Cigar City all the time. And, of course, now you live in Tampa, so you can you can go there all the time. And so many great breweries. There, drinking a Florida Cracker on tap, like, in late May... When you're already kind of drunk, that is the pinnacle of, of relaxation. <laughs> I just lo- I really like them. So. It's a great Florida beer from a great city, the Cigar City of Dreams. So you're really starting to. <laughs> Some of us still live in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, for real. All right. Well, anyway, let's get into my film. My film I'm is. So you should be excited. This is an amazing film. A 2014 film called Starry Eyes. This film is directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. And it stars Alexandra Esso as Sarah. She's pretty much the main character. She has a, uh, she has a fleet of friends around her. Yeah. Um, and they, nobodies around her. Yeah, there's a few nobodies around her. And they do have a significant role to play in the film, but there's about five of them and they all have pretty much to varying degrees, kind of the same level of, of screen time. Mm-hmm. So this film is about, um, her name is Sarah. She is an aspiring actress. And at the beginning of the film, you kind of see that she's, she's working at this Hooters-type restaurant. They have a lot of flair on their outfits, I noticed. Yeah, kind they of have like, a lot uh, of flair. She's Jennifer a, Aniston. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. She has very tight spandex pants on, basically. Yes. What is It's like a potato place, like a French fry place. They're called, I think they're called Tater Girls. Tater yeah. Girls, that's right. <laughs> um, and she, you see her going to auditions, and she's not really getting any roles, and she is very, clearly very has very low self-esteem and very low self-worth. You see her looking at herself in the mirror all the time with, like, a critical look on her face and that kind of thing. And um, a lot of her friends are aspiring actresses as well. She has one particularly bitchy friend named Erin, who's played by Fabian Therese. And Erin got, you know, the first interaction she has with Sarah is, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you about that role. And it was a role in a commercial that she got that Sarah had also tried out for. So those are the kind of friends she has. Yeah, well, you know. Erin really gets her comeuppance later in the movie, so, and she really deserves it. Yeah. I mean, she is a real... Yeah. She's a real... Evil. See you next Tuesday, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Sarah finds a ad in the paper about a, what we think is low-budget horror film called The Silver Screen, uh, which is a great title, which I love. Aaron does not love this, it, I want to see the, I want to see The Silver Screen. I definitely want to see The Silver Screen. And it's by a production company that has kind of been on the outs, and, uh, but I guess it's trying to come back. So she's very excited about this role. She goes to the audition and she flaunts it. And they are very cold towards her. She goes into the bathroom and she has kind of this meltdown. And she has these meltdowns frequently. And what she does is she pulls her hair out. She opens the stall to the bathroom and there's one of the producers standing there who says, can you repeat that performance for us? So after kind of being pressured to do it, she does. And they give her a call back. And then when she goes to that call back, one of the most classic. Do you want to give your scene. impression? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so, so she's yeah, yeah. So she gets up. She's all excited, and they say, and the guy goes, "This robe, <laughs> this robe." <laughs> so they ask, you know, they ask her to get naked, and they want to take pictures of her nude, and she's obviously very uncomfortable with this, but she really wants this part, you know. And you can really feel that. I think it's a real credit to the actress that you yeah. really believe her desperation and you really believe not only her desperation but her ambition she wants to be famous and she wants to be the best actress out of all of her friends i think this is like a perfect role for an actor i mean what actor hasn't had this experience before and she you just really believe it i mean it's a great acting job but also it's like tailor-made for an actor yeah so you could i thought the same thing i was like this is an actor's role yeah so after that, um, she gets another call back, and they want her to meet the producer. Yeah. So she goes to meet the producer, and he does come on to her. 
and she runs away. And then she tells her her roommate, her roommate tells all the friends, she's very embarrassed, and then one night after she gets kind of, like, fucked up on drugs, she has just, like, a realization, and she realizes, you know what? Fuck this. I'm gonna do it if this is what's gonna make me famous. And so she goes, and she has um, sex with the producer, and she does get the role. And it's at that point that you realize that there's actually, in addition to the, you know, having sex with the producer part, which is very much straight-up sexual harassment, which we will circle back to, she literally does go through a physical transformation at that point. And so this is where the New Year, New Me theme comes in. And it is about, honestly, I checked the time. This is about an hour and 45 minute long movie. This is at the hour mark. So yeah. we're more than halfway through the film. And so she kind of undergoes this physical transformation, but she also goes through this mental and emotional transformation as a result of what was initiated by her having sex with this producer. Um, and then the film ends with her she's famous now and she's beautiful. Well, she's a more beautiful version of herself. basically. So um, I think this is a really great film for this theme because not only does it talk a lot about the pressure, I think that women are put under in Hollywood and that women are put under in their everyday jobs, but it's very specifically the story of one woman whose ambition and whose drive leads her down some pretty dark paths. What I wanted to talk about first, I found this article. You were mentioning you didn't have too many articles for Christine. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Starry Eyes was, I mean, this film came out in 2014, which was the same year as It Follows. We watched this film when we watched It Follows, and we watched another film. This was one of the first films that we watched a few years ago where I was like, oh, horror is really going it's somewhere. Yeah, yeah. This, this, along with, like, It Follows and, uh, you know, the witch, all that stuff, it kind of just made you realize, like, oh, horror movies are good again. Mm -hmm. like, this is, this is like, this is exactly. what we can come to expect now. Exactly. Yeah. But in case me telling the plot point of her having sex with the producer made you feel uncomfortable, um, it should. Uh, so this article from Little White Lies, written by Vanessa Crispin, is called Revisiting Starry Eyes in the Wake of Hollywood's Sexual Abuse Scandal. Um, so as I said, this movie came out in 2014, which was really just a few years before Me Too. And to this article's credit, I had never really thought about this. To me, this film was always about one woman's ambition and what she was willing to do to accomplish her goals and what that accomplishment of goals turned her into, both literally and kind of, you know, metaphorically. I always had some problems with that. You know, I always thought to myself, okay, so a woman with ambition is a monster, I guess, you know. And, but whatever. But this article is really about the fact that this is a horror movie about things that actually happen to women, you know, in Hollywood. So this is the quote I wanted to read about when this film first came out, which was, again, a few years before Me Too. What's interesting about the way Starry Eyes was received upon its initial release is how a number of critics saw Sarah as being in some way responsible for what happens to her. Many reviewers accused the film of reinforcing a stereotypical view of Hollywood. Very few considered the wider implications of Sarah's story and the abuse that she suffers is merely shrugged off as an extreme aspect of the film, something that does not actually happen in real life. When really, now we've kind of come to see, oh, this kind of is what a lot of women face when they want to get into the upper echelons of the acting profession. And also, if you kind of take that a step further, it's, Okay, in so doing that action in which she's kind of forced into, that kind of fundamentally changes who she is and how she sees herself. When really she didn't, shouldn't have to make that decision at all. She shouldn't have to change an essential aspect of herself at all. So I just thought that was a really interesting uh, view of the film and one that I watched it first when it came out. As we said, we probably watched it in 2014, maybe 2015. And then I rewatched it again for the first time just a week ago. And it is funny, on the second time, it was before I read this article, but I was like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is so much a film about how one person is trying to get ahead as so much as what the industry she's in forces of people to get ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I had always watched this film, I had watched this film three times now. One time since the uh, all the stuff about Me Too came out, and I would say that the first two times, uh, you know, and I'm trying to remember back, but... I always thought this film was about, like, kind of obsession, what obsession does to a person, you know, where, where like, 
she was so obsessively determined to become, you know, a star or a famous actress that, you know, she kind of went down this dark path. But like you said, you know, watching this in light of everything that's come out about, you know, Weinstein and the Me Too movement, it really makes you see this film in a different light and a much, I would say, an even darker light than, you know, sort of the obsession aspect of this film. Mm -hmm. And it really, I mean, it's such a great film. I, I, I love films, and I've talked about this a lot of times now on the podcast, I love films where you could watch it more than once and get something completely different out of mm -hmm. it. And this is definitely one of those films. I, is, yeah. You know, I really, you know, now that you talk more about this, I'm really excited. I, I think I'm going to be watching this film again pretty soon with producer Chanel, who hasn't seen the film, and I really want to watch it through that lens and kind of get that aspect out of it, because again, you know, when I first watch it and even even the third time I watched it after all the Weinstein Me Too stuff came out, it's still like that seems to be and you know, the, the the predominant theme is one of obsession, but I definitely want to watch this film again from that lens and, you know, kind of digest it that way. Yeah. There's just so many ways to view this film. Yeah. Well and I want to talk about one of the other ways, which it seems like kind of when we both first watched it, the straight reading of it, is that she forces herself, she pushes herself into this situation, once she has sex with this producer, it's almost like a cult, like these things yeah. come out, and then the next thing she knows, she wakes up in her bed, and she's really sick, and she gets sicker and sicker and sicker, her hair is falling out, She, her lips are all chapped, she's very thin, she can't eat, at one point it's really gross, <laughs> she throws up a bunch of like maggots or worms, yeah. it's very extreme body horror for about... 10 to 15 minutes of the film. It's very scary. And then, uh, I guess under the influence of this cult or under the influence of this production company, she then goes on to like commit a few murders. <laughs> Those murders are very extreme. They are extremely extreme. Yes. That, yeah. and so that's the this, hammer kill in this yes. film. It's, it's mm -hmm. one of the most brutal kills I've ever seen. I think, uh, not to correct you, I think you might be thinking of the dumbbell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I always think of it as a I remember when we first watched that, I thought about that obsessively. It stuck in my mind obsessively for weeks afterwards. I well, could not stop thinking Can you about think it. of, I mean, think, I can't think of a movie off the top of my head where there is like a straight shot of someone being hammered yes. or dumbbell. I mean, the it's only, so brutal. The only comparable thing that I have seen recently was in Apostle when the kid was stuck on that machine that like yeah. ripped the top of his head off, essentially. Yeah. But even then, yeah. I mean, you know, that was more like exacting. This one is just like... Yes, it's very brutal. And and it, and the film doesn't pull away. And kind of overall, you, you know Sarah for such a long time and you get to know her so well because, again, the film is really only about her. Yeah. At the beginning of the film, she looks like um, Anna Kendrick to me. Like, she's really yeah. cute, and she's really sweet. You know, she has kind of low self-esteem, but you're like, you know, she's just a girl trying she's to make it in Hollywood. She's yeah. relatable. Like, mm -hmm. even though she's, a, like, you know, an actress or whatever, she's still very relatable yeah. as, a, as a person. You know, someone just trying to strive and yeah. make it in her profession. And the the lengths that she goes to kind of in the late middle portion of the film, you're just, you can't believe it's the same person. Yeah. And then at the end of the film, when she's transformed into this beautiful starlet. Literally reborn yes. out of the grave. Yes. Yeah. And what I think is so interesting about this film, she looks the same. Yeah. It's not like, it doesn't look like she got plastic surgery or anything. Mm -hmm. She looks the same. She has nicer clothes and nicer hair, basically. But it's the way she carries herself and the way she holds herself that you know without a shadow of a doubt, even if you hadn't seen the middle portion of the film, if you just saw her at the beginning of the film and the end of the film, you would be like, something happened with this girl. She's a new a new woman, you know? New year, new her. A new year, new her. So I just really, I like, I like the way the film kind of explores her transformation and how it shows the effect that that has on her personally and it has on the people around her. Um, and I think a lot of the horror beyond the murder, beyond what happens with the producer and stuff, you really, it's kind of cheesy, but it's kind of like her loss of innocence too, yeah. you know, and, and sure she got what she wanted, but at what cost, but she's also, to me, she's happy with it. Like she got what she wanted and it's true that that's really well, that's what, what she wanted gonna, all along. That's what I was going to ask you, you know, the, all the times I've watched this film, I've kind of like had a mix of disgust and pity for the character but now that i'm thinking about it like when you talk about it through the context of 
the Me Too Hollywood sex scandal stuff, I, I it makes me reconsider my whole thought about her character. I mean, obviously, you know, she, she's going around killing people brutally. I mean, that's <laughs> that is a bad thing, but it really makes me kind of reconsider her character a little bit because you know she. I don't know what 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 do we make of her as a character? I guess I mean you know she does all of these horrible mm-hmm. things. She makes all of these kind of like desperate sacrifices, but she does come out on top and mm-hmm. she ultimately achieve her goal. I mean, what do you what? Well, it's she, really hard to say what what I make of that. Yeah, now. well, when she is auditioning the two people that she's into auditioning with the miserable guy <laughs> and the other woman who never smiles, they repeatedly tell her, and the producer repeatedly tells her. You need to become a new you. They explicitly say, you need to become a new you. And then at the end of the film, we find out they meant that literally. Yeah. And they say, you need to be a vessel for our ideas. And so to me, the person that she is at the end isn't even her. It's become kind of just this embodiment of what the production company has always wanted their actress to be. And I think that's really yeah. interesting, too, when you're speaking of women's success and when you're speaking of women's ambition, a lot of times it's at the, to me, at the cost of staying true to yourself. And and I think that that's kind of Sarah's story. She gives up literally her own autonomy in order to get what she wants, which is to be famous. But to me, it's like, at what cost? I mean, yeah. you're literally just a pawn in these people's game. But to me, at the end, I still ultimately do feel pity for her because to me she's given up the most essential thing we have in life which is our own independence and our own ability to you know do what we want basically this is such like a thought i mean i feel like we could have like two full episodes talking about this film this is such a thought-provoking film because what you're saying not only applies to you know sort of women in acting not only applies to women in the workplace but applies to like all people who in, in the workplace who have to, you know, have to work under a boss or anything like that. I mean, we do give up, I, you know, I could go off on a big tangent here. I will hold <laughs> back, but we do at part of us, you know, in the workplace, we do give up yeah. some of our autonomy and sacrifice ourselves. Yeah. I mean, well, and also, man, this I, is just such a great film. I also feel like there's nothing, I, I very much see myself, people who know me personally, I think see me as more of an emotional person. Um, in general, no. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very much a feeling, emotional type of person, but I think people are surprised to learn that at work, I'm very type A, I'm very, let's get to the business, let's get this done. You know, I think it's true that you are a different you in every, you know, situation of your life, but you're still you, you know, and I think that one of the horrors of this film, and maybe the greatest horror of this film, is that she has, like, given up her uh, autonomy in order to gain fame. Yeah, she's alienated herself from herself, essentially. And from her, well social circle. I mean, she doesn't... Spoiler alert, yeah. she doesn't have it anymore, but... You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> her friends are pretty much jerks. Actually, let's be honest, yeah, they freaking suck. And the first Imagine first, having friends like that. When you first meet Erin, she has that little bow in her hair with a bandana, <laughs> and I just wanted to rip it off her. <laughs> I was like, you That one here. part? So there's a part of the film where, like, kind of you know, once Sarah begins her transformation where Aaron, like, uh, falls and bloodies her nose, and <laughs> Sarah makes that little, like, smirk, and her friend's like, Aaron, what's your problem? I was just like sitting there cracking. Up, like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, because Aaron's such a little. Bitch. I know, I you know. But yeah, and I also just kind of my last comment I wanted to say. I always rewatch a film before considering it one of my favorite films. But after I watch this film, I think it's probably in my top ten horror films. It's just That's really right. good, really well done, well acted. As you said, you can read it a million different ways, and. It is very scary, and it has mm-hmm. very frightening imagery in it. And so, it, to me, it kind of checks all the boxes of the horror I, The first time I rewatched this film, I watched it with, like, a room full of people. I'd really never heard of it. And by the end of the film, like, it ended, and people were just silent. They're like, what the fuck did I just watch? I think this, this film is, like, very unheralded, pretty unknown, but it's so powerful, so scary, and, well, like, so meaningful. Yeah. I think it blows, I really blowed, it blew me away the first time I saw it, and I think everybody that I know who I've recommended it to, it's, it's had a similar impact. Well, and I was surprised, I mean, it has a 76 on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't horrible, but which isn't, to me, speaking of the quality of this film. No, I mean, not at all. I have... One of my main criticism is that at times Aaron, the bitchy friend, is almost cartoonishly bitchy, where yeah. it's just like, okay, I don't really think I'm, I don't think that would really happen. Um, and I think there are a few subplots that don't really 
go anywhere, but to me, this is definitely top tier. And it's all about Sarah anyway. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, the film is kind of, it's all about this one character, so I think a lot of the other stuff is kind of just filler and, you know, harmless, so right. you know, it's never bothered me too much. So, New Year, New Me, film's about two people who became shittier versions of themselves. Yeah, yeah, again, Hopefully I, not uh, the direction that your life will take in 2019, but you never know, you could become yeah. a shitty person. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, you know, we both could become shitty, creepy people in 2019, but hopefully I won't become, like, If you keep almost... on talking about how you moved to Tampa, <laughs> you will be a shitty person. Well, it is the new me, because I live in Tampa now, so there you go. So anyway, that kind of wraps up our film reviews. Um, and if you have seen either of these films and have thoughts, we would love to hear them. You can Absolutely. send us an email or uh, DM us, as it were. The yeah. kids well, are and like we've said in the past, if you email us or DM us, we'd be happy to read your comment on air. We love talking about any of these films. And if yeah. you haven't seen either of these films, these are both highly recommended. These are both must. I mean, these I agree. I agree with you about Christine, too. To me, this, especially if you're a Stephen King fan or John Car- Carpenter fan, that's a must-watch film. It was very entertaining, and it was pretty scary. I think yeah. a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about kind of like unheralded movies, but I think the two we picked today are unheralded classics. Yes. Like, yeah, these are 100%. like, you know, every, top, top tier. Every time I talk about Starry Eyes, I feel like people haven't really seen it. To me, this is, this is, it follows the witch type material. And I really think that people need to, need to check it out. But Absolutely. I can't force what you do. Yeah. Uh, we can only, unless I initiate you into my cult. Well, so. we can only say, please don't listen to our podcast if you're not going to watch this film. Because <laughs> we obviously don't like you don't like horror movies. Yeah. So, so. well, have you been uh, checking out any horror movies or horror TV shows lately? I, I have. Uh, I have been moving, so it's been a little bit hard to sit down and watch a we film. We get it. <laughs> but um, I did watch uh, Joe Bob Briggs's Dinners of Death special, which featured Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hills Have Eyes, Dead or Alive, and another film I haven't gotten to yet. So um, Wow, those are three great films, though. They, yeah, those three were awesome. I The third one, he's uh, after Dead or Alive, he was kind of like, well, we're going to take it down and just watch a shitty 80s movie now. <laughs> and so I haven't quite gotten to that one yet. And um, as we speak, uh, Joe Bob Briggs had his Christmas special last night that I'm really excited to hang out. Uh, oh, check yeah, out. yeah. I think um, I think I'll check those out. I'm not a huge movie marathon person, yeah. but I, I watched I've heard the, his commentary is very cool and funny, and I want to check that out. I've heard, I've, um, I watched each of these films on three separate days. I, I, I'm not a movie marathon person either, but I would... You Unless know, it's Harry Potter. I do marathon Harry Potter. I think Joe Bob Briggs, he's been around for... 30, 40 years doing horror movie marathons. He's a horror, horror historian. But especially if, if anyone who's interested in this but doesn't want to watch all of it, I would highly recommend uh, you watch his Texas Chainsaw Massacre segment because he is the authority on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There is so much information. He wrote a literal, he got paid by the state of Texas to write a 6,000 word paper wow. on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He is the authority on this film. And I learned, I mean, it's my favorite film of all time, and I learned so much about it, so I would definitely recommend that. I would also, a new horror podcast came out about two weeks ago called The Horror Vanguard that I've been listening to. Their latest episode was on Gremlins, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Not as big a fan as a lot of people are, but I really do love uh, Gremlins. a great Christmas horror movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, The Horror Vanguard is a horror podcast examining horror films from perspective like a left-wing perspective so it's really really interesting um i think horror is a great medium for people on the left i mean we usually talk about our films from uh whether today uh, anti-capitalist slash feminist perspective i mean you know that's kind of how we view films a lot of times and i thought i think this horror podcast is a really good one because it views films from that perspective as well and i would ask help help people check it out i really like it so far it's only two episodes but um, Cool. Yeah, I would like to check that out as well. Yeah. Well, I have been continuing my exploitation of my Shutter subscription. Oh, I am getting. That is great. By I'm the way, getting... the Joe Rob Briggs special is on Shutter. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I am getting the full value of my $4.99 a month. <laughs> that, uh, folks, they're not our sponsor. Again, Shutter, I know Shutter. you're listening. Please be our sponsor. We but... <laughs> would love if you were our sponsor. But $4.99, you can't, you can't beat that. If you're a horror fan, to me, I mean, it's definitely more than... I mean, it's a steal. Because I watch Starry Eyes on Shudder as well. Yeah. That's where it's yeah. available now. Um, but I have been watching Channel Zero on Shudder, which is a horror anthology TV series where each season is a new story based on a creepypasta. Ooh. 
I I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I actually really like creepy pastas. I think they're kind of the best of what the internet has to offer, which is just like having fun and goofing off and did, like trying to scare the shit out well, of each other. Well, did you listen to the latest Good Morning Nancy? Yes, podcast? they write they, they did a Christmas creepy pasta. And they that were was like, great. they were like, are is anyone enjoying this? And I was in my car, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> I love. Actually, the one, the I think it was the second one that Gracie read. About the kid yes, <laughs> with the I bomb. Know, I, know. I was like, oh my I god. Know. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. so um, I'm, I'm, the first season of Channel Zero has six episodes, and I've seen four so far. I've heard that the second season is the best season. I can say about season one, it is a little slow, but it also has a great story. It has pretty good acting. It has Mark Randanowitz oh. from Parks and Rec. Just say no more. As usual, being a total babe. Say um, <laughs> no more. Mark Randanowitz, I'm. I know a you're fan. listening. <laughs> and it has, so the back of your first Fangoria mm-hmm. has the teeth monster. Had the teeth monster. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, it's from season one of Channel Zero. So it was, it was very <laughs> creepy when I first saw it. So it has definitely very frightening imagery. And I, I've been enjoying the story so far. So I'm definitely excited to see how it wraps up and to check out uh, season two. Yeah, but that's all I've been, you know, after our best of 2018 yeah. episode, I was like, let me take a little break. <laughs> well, I will I will say, after we did our top 10 list, four movie podcasts did an episode where they're like, we're going to just review 20 movies from oh 2008. Oh my god, I, like, I know. Are you fucking kidding me? I haven't watched any I of know. these movies. I know. I think course, I had seen only one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I just saw Cam. That yeah. was the only yeah. thing that they discussed Cam. that I saw. And, and then, they didn't even like him. It. It like, okay. I know. <laughs> Guys, That's a I know you're story. listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, Bird Box. Bird Box. On I Netflix. Said Birdness. That, that's been getting great reviews. I definitely want to watch and that. And I really want to watch that as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just wish we could have fit a few more films into my top ten. But I, I'm like you. After I had top ten, I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know. I need to take a few days off. Like, exactly. I need to re- decompress. I need to watch Mark Brandana with the Parks and Red. Oh. So I've just been kind of trying to unwind. I'm such a Brandana fan. You're such a, you're a Brandana bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been just decompressing and catching up on my reading and everything, but yeah. We are ready to start strong in 2019. I know we have a lot of really great ideas for our future episodes, so if you're listening and you haven't subscribed, you definitely should. We drop our episodes every other Wednesday, and we always do a themed episodes, and we have some really great themes coming up, so... Mm -hmm. Please, everybody, remember to visit us on uh, social media. We're at Ah Real Films on Instagram. Ah Real Films on Twitter. We're real is spelled R E E L. Please, my Twitter followers, you know, reach out to me. I need more. I, Taylor has the Instagram. I have the Twitter. Taylor has far more followers. I would on like, Instagram yeah, I would like Twitter. to announce that we just reached over a hundred fans Woo! on Instagram. So if you're listening, thanks so much. Our Twitter um, followers, we are beating our, Curtis on Twitter. Our Twitter <laughs> followers are very strong, very loyal. There's I about twenty all, of them. <laughs> I appreciate all your support. Tell your friends about us on Twitter. I need. I I am so far behind. Uh, but also, please don't forget to. Uh, Shoot us an email if you ever have any comments. We will read them on air. I promise you. You'll be famous. You'll love it. You'll like love Colin. It. You're like Colin. Colin, is famous. Colin, thank you so much for your comments. <laughs> was that two weeks ago now? Well, he sent, he sent another uh, email saying, like, yep, that was not me in the fedora. So. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, we know it wasn't you in the fedora. I thought for a long time it was you, Colin. I apologize. He, I now realize it was not you. <laughs> he uh, corrected you and said it was his friend Justin that was wearing a fedora. And well, Justin, if you're listening, which I know you are, please stop wearing fedoras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And, yeah, please follow us on social media. Send us an email. And uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. See you next time, folks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. I'm in the lab, snitch. I'm in the lab, snitch. I'm in the lab. Testing. One, two, three. Testing. 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 One, two, three.